I V M. Did you know that Parsis in Mumbai, instead of being left at the Tower of Silence after they die, are now cremated? And why? Because a cow fell sick in the early 1990s. Did you know that the smog in Delhi is caused by something that farmers in Punjab do, and that there's no way to stop them? Did you know that there wasn't one gas tragedy in Bhopal, but three? One of them was seen, but two were unseen. Did you know that many well-intentioned government policies hurt the people they're supposed to help? Why was demonetization a bad idea? How should GST have been implemented? Why are all our politicians so corrupt when not all of them are bad people? I'm Amit Verma, and in my weekly podcast, The Seen and the Unseen, I take a shot at answering all these questions and many more. I aim to go beyond the scene and show you the unseen effects of public policy and private action. I speak to experts on economics, political philosophy, cognitive neuroscience, and constitutional law, so that the insights can blow not only my mind but also yours. The Seen and the Unseen releases every Monday, so do check out the archives and follow the show at seenunseen.in. You can also subscribe to the Seen and the Unseen on whatever podcast app you happen to prefer. And now let's move on to the show. People often talk of India and Pakistan as estranged siblings. After all, we are culturally so similar, if not basically the same, in terms of language, cuisine, dress, cricket, and even our taste for bad escapist cinema. I'd actually go further and argue that we are more than siblings. We are Siamese twins. We are joined at the hip, almost literally, bound not just by culture but also by geography, and therefore geopolitics. And for this reason, everything that happens in Pakistan concerns us also. We can't afford to just ignore it. And elections in Pakistan are more important for us than elections in any other country. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen. Today's topic is the Pakistan elections of July 25th. Now, this conversation took place on July 23rd, before the elections, and you're listening to it on the Monday after. But that's okay because what we discussed was not the specific result of these specific elections, but the state of Pakistani democracy and what is at stake here. My guests today are my colleagues at the online magazine I edit, Pragati at thinkpragati.com. Pranay Kotasthane is our editor for foreign affairs, as well as a fellow at the Takshashila Institution in Bangalore, and one of the most highly regarded foreign policy analysts in this country. Hamsini Hariharan is the assistant editor of Pragati, and foreign policy is also one of her beats. Before we begin the conversation, though, here's a quick commercial break. If this happens to be the only podcast you listen to, well, you need to listen to some more. Check out the ones from IVM Podcasts who co-produce the show with me. Go to ivmpodcast.com or download the IVM app and you'll find a host of great Indian podcasts that cover every subject you could think of. From the magazine I edit, Pragati at thinkpragati.com, there is the Pragati podcast hosted by Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. There is a brilliant Hindi podcast, Puliyabazi, hosted by Pranay Kotasane and Saurabh Chandra. And apart from these policy podcasts, IVM has shows that cover music, films, finance, sports, sci-fi, tech and the LGBT community all under one roof or rather all in one app. So download the IVM podcast app today. Pranay Hamsini, welcome to The Scene and the Unseen. Thanks Amit, great to be back. 
Yeah, thanks for having us. So now we are recording this on the 23rd of July and the 25th obviously the elections in Pakistan. So what I wanted this episode to be about is not so much uh, what the outcome will be because it will be known by the time you listen to it but we don't know it yet but more about what is the landscape of politics and electoral politics in Pakistan and how it's kind of evolved. So Pranay just give me sort of a quick uh, update like i'm speaking purely from a layman's perspective what is pakistani democracy is there such a thing the pakistani democracy is quite elusive actually and that's being perplexing for many of the people around and the way we've tried to characterize it is as is that uh, Pakistan is actually not one geopolitical entity, but two of them. One is the putative state of Pakistan, which actually has its flag, a PM, a PM's car and all that paraphernalia with it. But the more important one is something what we call the military jihadi complex. Now, the way we define it is that it is a dynamic syndicate of the military, militants, uh, the jihadists, the radicalists and uh, political economic structures which uh, basically have their own foreign policy and domestic policies and they try to assert their relative dominance over this entire thing called Pakistan. So it is this MJC or the military jihadi complex which actually is con in control of the corridors of power in Pakistan and it is the one which determines what will happen and even in this election if you see it the most important opinion that matters is not the one that comes out of opinion polls but the opinion of the military and the military seems to have made its choice so what's really the history of this military jihadi complex like uh, it hasn't always existed i'm assuming but at the same time like would you say that the dominance of the military was something written in the dna of the pakistan state in terms of yes, how it was yes. formed yes actually it is it has been existing since the emergence of Pakistan. And in fact, there is a great book by Steve Wilkinson called Army and the Nation. And it tries to lay out a comparison between the history of the Indian Army and the history of Pakistani Army and why both of them diverge in terms of the political roles that armies play in both states. And it's a fascinating account of that. And the military jihadi complex has its root right from the emergence of Pakistan. There have been several constitutions that Pakistan has had, several uh, stages where the military was in direct control of the government. And even now, even though there is something called a Pakistani PM, do you know who's the Pakistani PM now, for example? Uh, give me a minute while I Google it. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to Google it, right? It's, I, I think you might know the PM of some other neighboring state, but it's difficult. Let's say Maldives, you would know who is, right? But in Pakistan, it's difficult because the current guy who's been installed is someone who's not even a big guy in his own political party. He was only installed because Nawaz Sharif sort of uh, confronted the Pakistani military and the military jihadi complex thought that he was getting too big for his shoes and hence he was booted out. So if I have to say what are the broad trends that have taken place over the last few years, uh, let's look at it first from a foreign policy angle of Pakistan. One, the narrative that the MJC has been selling all these years that they are the 
protectors of Pakistan and the world would be worse off if they weren't there. That kind of narrative has weakened over the last few years. The uh, Americans who were backing the Pakistani military just because they thought there was no better option, they chose to believe so, are also frustrated with it. So if you see over the last few years, the aid that that Pakistan army got has significantly declined. Right. So uh, from a foreign policy angle, there is a pressure. The uh, amount of options that Pakistani army had have reduced now. That's one big thing. In the domestic side, what you saw was last time Nawaz Sharif, his party called the Pakistan Muslim League, Nawaz, won a landslide elections. They won around 178 seats out of 342. And it was the first time when a democratic transition actually took place from one democratic party to the other big big event right after 70 years and even though that happened after that Nawaz Sharif sort of did a lot of things to change Pakistan and most importantly and where the Pakistani military didn't like it is where he started questioning the ISI etc on what they have been doing in regulating the jihadists. And this came out as a leaked report in a famous newspaper called Dawn. And that's when the Pakistani military started to go behind him. And hence, he was overthrown and he was forced to exit. There was a non-entity who was made the PM. So these are the two things. The third one is what is happening on the Pakistani border with Afghanistan, which I guess Hamsini can tell you better. Yeah, something that I wanted to talk about was uh, the rise of the Pashtun Daifus movement. So uh, what's been happening is that since 2015, there's been uh, supposedly a crackdown on the Tariqi Taliban Pakistan. And uh, so the Pakistan army launched something called Operation Zarb-e-Azab. And this meant that a lot of people who were in the area were arbitrarily detained um, and harassed and all of that. And this is not new also in the federally administered uh, tribal areas of FATA, which comes under, it doesn't come under the Pakistani constitution. So uh, what happened is from 2015, there have been small protests. Just to correct, it does come under the Pakistani constitution, but the laws which apply to these people are different from the laws that apply to the other Pakistanis. So there is something called the FCR and Hmm. they are draconian laws. For example, one person doesn't have one vote in those areas, whereas the other Pakistanis have. Here, there is something called a community vote, things like that. It's a really crazy wow. colonial stuff, which yeah. still continues to this. Yeah, period. and another thing is, if you do something, then members of your family will be detained and so on. So, they are really draconian laws. So, what's happened over the last year is that this movement started calling for, you know, dignity for the rights of Pashtuns. And it's the first grassroots movement in recent history in Pakistan that's managed to affect an outcome that the Pakistan army was not really favorable to. So one of the things that they were able to do about a month ago was merge two provinces in uh, Pakistan, Khyber Pakhtunwa and Fatah. And this has been a, a, a demand for a very long time so that there would be better governance and so on. But this is the first time that the change has actually been mandated. And this goes on to show that there is a lot of uh, dissatisfaction on the ground, the people aren't really happy with the way that the civilian government has been acting, simply because the civilian government does not have a lot of power. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
one sense in which this uh, uprising is different from past uprisings is that past uprisings focused to a certain extent on identity politics on pashtuns versus the rest and so on while this was really focused strongly on individual rights and on just being treated as citizens and so on is that a correct formulation no i would suggest it is still uh, largely it is being seen as a pashtun movement itself the word right. itself means pashtun protection movement but are they agitating for the same sort of things they were in the past yeah it's yeah, it's not that they are arguing for a pashtunistan or anything yeah. like that they are arguing for for Pashtuns to have the same rights that other Pakistanis right, have, right, essentially that. Right. And the unique thing about this is that the leadership is not affiliated with any political party. So it's tough for the Pakistani army to curb it. They have immense amount of instruments to curb it, right? Mm. And the military jadi complex excels in that. They can manufacture charges, get forced disappearances. It's a very famous term in Pakistan which gets used called Namalu Mafrads. Mm. These are unidentified persons. They emerge out of nowhere and they'll just abduct you. Very, very common happened to a lot of Pashtuns. And in fact, that is why this entire movement started. And the leader of this, for example, is a guy called... Uh, Manzoor Pashtin is a young chap has no political history but he went around Fata and uh, there was a march a lot of people joined him on the way so it's what Hamsini said a grassroots movement which really caught on and the Pakistani army was caught unawares yeah and what the movement has done differently from other movements as Pranay said is that it didn't take up any political affiliations even at the end of it after uh, the two provinces were merged and a lot of people were saying, you know, what next for the movement? Um, the leaders of the movement were saying maybe individuals will take up political contest if they want to, but the movement as such is not going to back anyone. And while it was happening, it was suddenly seen as, you know, an important uh, vote that they had never counted before on because traditionally Pashtun votes go to the PTI that works uh, the Pakistan Tariqi in Insaf uh, that is in Khyber Pakhtunwa uh, so this was seen as a new demographic that has never come to the foray before in Pakistan and, and uh, just sort of Going back to the first point you made, uh, Rane, about the army, no longer the military jihadi complex, been weakened over the last few years. And I remember the early 2000s before to, uh, 9-11, uh, Pakistan was economically pretty much on the verge of uh, collapse. And someone uh, like I visited Pakistan to cover the Indian cricket tour of uh, 2006. And I'd also written for the Wall Street Journal and so on in that time. And I remember someone at that point telling me that we think of, uh, we don't call Al-Qaeda Al-Qaeda, we call it Al-Faida. Al yeah. Because what happened with that was that uh, the army suddenly got uh, a spurt of validation and, uh, you know, it could justify itself in much stronger times, uh, in much stronger terms. And a lot of funds poured in from abroad because you obviously looked as Pakistan as a key ally in the war against terror. And uh, the military jihadi complex just grew stronger. Mm. Now, one reason for the military jihadi complex growing weaker, obviously, is that the West has figured out that these guys are not allies. They are playing uh, a, a double game. But is is it also the case that even domestically, uh, people are more empowered or more disillusioned against the army? Is it like a two-way thing happening here? Yes, uh, that's true for some section because uh, look at it like this. So Pakistani military jihadi complex, everyone now knows that they are the ones who are in the driver's seat. 
and in spite of them being in the driver's seat things haven't changed a lot right and in fact the gap between india and pakistan has also been wi- widened significantly so in the sense there is this disillusionment that whatever we were promised and the military being the protectors of the ideological frontiers have not delivered so there is that sense of uh, alienation which has come in uh, but because the military jihadi complex is still the most powerful formation it can you know there are these uh, for example every year there are these surveys which keep getting held everywhere and uh, still pakistani army gets some 75% uh, ratings in the most trusted institution of pakistan and all that so that kind of continues but i guess yes there has been some disillusionment that we aren't getting what we are most recent example actually like just yesterday there have been street protests in punjab uh people saying isi murdabad and all that wow. that's very very rare for it to happen in uh, punjab uh, second what has also changed the fact is that there have been terrorist attacks in the heartland of punjab over the last few years so that again has set a uh, uh, question back uh, in the army's code that what happened you were the guys who were going to protect us against india and against all the terrorists but now even the gardens of you know there was an attack in a park in punjab in lahore so even those places aren't safe anymore so that has sort of weakened domestically and would it be your case that you know when indians typically think of pakistan as an enemy nation what they actually thinking of is a military jihadi complex and not so much the you know like pakistan civil society at this point seems fairly fed up themselves of uh, the military jihadi complex no that's a very good point actually uh, that's why i was trying to say that look at pakistan as two entities hmm. there is this one entity which you can't probably uh, uh, you know Uh, sort of get you on your side because they have defined their existence as opposing you and that's a military jihadi complex right so uh, maybe the long term solution for the uh, for that entity is just that resist we need to resist it for now and hope that we dismantle it in the future or it gets dismantled on its own but the other side uh, is not uh, inherently inimical to india or right. might not be so it, it, at least it can be changed an an evidence for that is like what you see happening in pak in a kashmir for example over the last 2 3 years pakistan could have done a lot more if it wanted to uh, and i it's my sort of assertion that actually they haven't done a lot uh, and a lot of problems which are of the recent times are our own problems and the way we've handled kashmir politically but pakistan has been a peripheral player in this but it's not been the main person which is doing things from behind which was the case a few years but back. your your cases if they wanted to they could have they could have and they didn't so why didn't they they didn't because uh, as you see last few years nawaz sharif was the one who was uh, trying to right. assert himself politically and there were some overtures on both sides and they sort of tried to figure it out that uh, you know maybe we need to get our acts in the domestic sphere first together and then see what we have to do with india so there was and remember the terrorism increased significantly within pakistan right so there was backlash internally as well if punjab is getting bombed internally they th- said how can we support terrorism elsewhere so this entire narrative of pakistan having backing terrorist elements sort of had uh, weakened over the last few years right 
And do you think uh, that this is one of the reasons Nawaz Sharif also faced a pushback from the army that he was trying to control terrorism and didn't let the terrorism yeah, affect fact, what was he, happening? Yeah, in fact, he was questioning those guys hmm. and that's what the report in Dawn said and that was a bit too much to ask and that's why what happened and he was declared that he was not Sadiq and Amin right so yeah well, what is a Sadiq and Amin you told me before before you began recording but for the benefit of yeah, the listeners so it's fascinating Pakistan has so the current constitution which is in force in Pakistan was the one which started in 1973 and after that an article was inserted in Ziaul Haq's time uh, an article 62 which said that a person uh, who is elected to the legislative assembly he should have adequate knowledge of islamic teachings and practices uh, and the obligatory duties prescribed by islam and he should abstain from major sins and the clause also said that candidate should be sadiq and amin so <laughs> it means honest and righteous now you can understand how vague this is so the pakistani military jihadi complex often uses this clause to just take people out which whom they don't like and the way they do now is very intelligent earlier like back until the 1990s they could just overthrow the political outfits and the army guys could become the president and military uh, martial law administrators like what Parvez Musharraf, Zia Ullak and all those guys did. But now th- there will be a backlash internationally even within Pakistan. No? Right? So what they do is more intelligent things, more sophisticated things. They get the judiciary to front this. So the judiciary will say that, okay, Nawaz Sharif has been involved in Panama uh, paper okay. leaks and he is no longer Sadiq and Amin. So he should be thrown off. And then you have this entire set of another guy coming in who the Pakistani army wants. Which is quite marvelous. Yeah, in fact, that's why uh, the recent uh, dismissal of Nawaz Sharif uh, and his uh, putting an arrest out for him for what, 10 years, he's supposed to be jailed. It was called a judicial coup because that's what it was. It was orchestrated by the Pakistan army. Um, so, so the army basically controls the judiciary and uses yeah, it as a yeah. tool when it wants to. Yeah. So, you know, I want to ask you guys about the current elections. Mm. But before I do that, uh, a slightly deeper question going back to the background that you were giving me before the, uh, the start of the episode about the army's predominant uh, role in Pakistani politics, which is so different from the army's role in India. And thank goodness for that. And um, uh, can you give me a TLDR of how uh, the Pakistani army, uh, the military jihadi complex, uh, as it has become now, uh, became dominant in Pakistan politics right from 47. And if that is a structural reason, uh, then why should it change now? I mean, is there any hope of it ever changing? Yeah, the structural reason for uh, the Pakistan army's dominance was, now, Pakistan was born a very insecure state, right? And it always perceived it so. So, for the first few years, the biggest chunk of their budgetary allocation was in defense itself. So, in a sense, it was the army and the armed forces which got a head start over the other institutions. And in a fragile state, which was just beginning, it was only the army which sort of seemed to work 
right and uh, remember during the british times as well uh, they had allocated big canal colonies along the indus and given it to the military guys etc so these were also the people who were the richer ones the well educated ones and now also more important from a public finance point of view so these people had a head start and that sort of they then you had the first coup which came up uh, and uh, you you had ayub khan taking over the reins so it was born that way you know and that sort of has continued uh, the army has never allowed the other uh, putative state to actually emerge Uh, and was there like uh, as in our case was there ever a sort of constitution which tried to lay down the rules of the game or how, how did that go yeah the uh, often the constitution was made by the army guys itself after right. they ruled they had a new constitution it changed etc so uh, it always uh try to give a veneer of democracy with, to and a legitimacy which you would find acceptable but always there it was clear where the power center lay and to your question of whether it will change or not the only thing sort of which can change is if this pakistani military jihadi complex is no longer seen as the one which can deliver the goods for the pakistanis and i guess at least the trend is now in a direction where pakistanis themselves are questioning where we are going with what we've done and uh, you know the countries around pakistan have managed to do much better things so they they are questioning that and that's why you are seeing a lot of this civil unrest with the ptm etc which is coming up and therein lies the hope i guess in fact this is why i keep saying that uh, you know just because we view pakistan as the enemy which as you correctly pointed out there are two aspects of pakistan and the military jihadi complex as enemy just because of that we shouldn't cut down on trade with them in fact if anything we should expand free trade with them we should expand person to person relations because all of those things will only strengthen pakistani civil society vis-a-vis the military jihadi complex so that is sort of another front in the battle we have to fight against sir. right but i would say uh, i have a slightly different take to it at least we shouldn't think of all these big overtures you know a pm meeting a pm right. and all that because uh, the past evidence shows that whenever such big uh, jumlas take place immediately after that the military jihadi complex strikes back there is uh, instance after instance where this has happened so uh, it's better to not uh, you know uh, insert a finger into the eyes of the mjc by doing these yeah. big events yeah you could do it at a uh, first start with back channel talks nsas to nsas and then slowly open people to people contacts but anything which is big Uh, which questions the military jihadi complex who's you know the foundation of that is that they are going to protect against india right so if you start to question that then mjc strikes back so no, like the mjc maybe what you're saying is mjc may be wounded and insecure but they're still the biggest beast in the room and you don't want to uh, roll them up too much we'll shift to talking about the current elections which i find hopelessly complicated and hard to understand right after a brief commercial break Hey, it's been another great week on IVM. If you aren't following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Cyrus says this week we have Satyanshu Singh, filmmaker, writer, and head of content development for AIB First Draft. His journey from doctor to writer is a fascinating one. On the scene and the unseen, Amit is joined by Pranay Kothasthane and Hamsini to decode Pakistan's experiences with democracy. 
On Keeping It Queer this week, Naveen speaks to Parmesh Sahani, author and head of the Godrej India Culture Lab. Hustle Science marks the season finale with fitness YouTuber Abhinav Mahajan. And on Geek Fruit, Tejas and Jishnu give you the greatest hits from this year's San Diego Comic Con. It's time for you to catch the third story from Croc Tales with Anand Sivakumaran. This one is called Freddy Ki Fiat Ho Gai Flat. And now, on to your show. Pranay and Hamsini, welcome back to The Scene and the Unseen. Uh... So help me make sense of what's happening in these elections. You had Nawaz Sharif sort of uh, uh, being defiant against the military jihadist complex, which is on the downswing both in terms of what the world thinks of it and in terms of uh, dealing with domestic matters. So they've used the Supreme Court as a puppet to get Nawaz out of the way. They've installed a puppet prime minister. And now you have elections coming up. Mm. So lay it out for me. What's at stake here? Who are the players in this game and what's likely to happen uh before we get into these elections i think it will be good if pranay you told us how the national assembly elections in pakistan actually work right with respect to vote shares in provinces and so on hmm. yeah so uh, think of it uh, this way that the electoral uh, seats uh, I mean, basically pakistan is dominated by one state okay so the total number of seats in the assembly are 342 not all of them go for elections they are uh, sort of some of them are uh, reserved seats etc for minorities and women yeah right? minorities and women so around 270 will go to vote in these elections now the punjab dominance is that nearly 170 seats out of 342 are uh, belong to punjab okay so the second highest state which is sindh the, it is less than half of that number it has 75 seats okay so anyone who controls punjab sort of is the big uh, big person in town in the last elections now uh, nawaz sharif's party really sweeped the entire punjab okay and they had close to 178 seats mm. or something like that so because of that they were the big party there now what's happening now because pmln has now lost favor of the pakistani military jihadi complex there are some other formations who are coming up now there is something called the Uh, Pakistan Tehreek e Insaf which is led by Imran Khan and his election symbol obviously is a cricket bat i don't know why not a ball but it's a <laughs> cricket bat so uh, imran khan is the uh, his party actually rules this thing called the khyber pakhtunkhwa which is another state that state just has now uh, 50 seats totally these are the two big formations the third formation is the pakistani people's party which is benazir bhutto's uh, party now it is being led by her son now uh, over the time ppp's influence has waned and even in these elections it is uh, it is only restricted to sindh that they might perform well these are the three big parties some other parties are uh, now pakistani military jihadi complex is also trying to mainstream militants so there is always like a palimpsest of militants who keep coming into the electoral uh, setup earlier you had some jihadi elements now you have uh, these guys uh, hafiz said has a party called the milli muslim league that might contest so there are a bunch and, and they are backed by the military jihadi complex. yeah it is a part of the military jihadi they are the jihadi <laughs> part of the military jihadi so it is very clear they are mm. trying to 
मेनस्ट्रीम देर आर मिलिटेंट बरेलवी आउटफिट्स ऑल्सो देर इज अ पाकिस्तानी लबैक पार्टी एंड दे आर ऑल्सो ट्राइंग सो देर आर मेनी मेनी लेयर्स ऑफ दीज मिलिटेंट गाइज हु आर ऑल्सो शॉर्ट ऑफ कंटेस्टिंग सो दीज आर द मेन गाइज इन द इलेक्शन नाउ पाकिस्तानी आर्मी हैज मेड इट्स चॉइस इट इज इट लुक्स लाइक इमरान खान इज देयर मैन एंड अ फ्यू रीजन्स फॉर दैट फर्स्ट they hated the pmln and nawaz sharif and even though nawaz sharif won't be contesting elections they fear that uh, you know his family will still be in control and he might again come back so they are trying to restrict them they're doing that in a few ways one they are obviously uh, uh, helping imran khan project Uh, his party's uh, name everywhere second they have split the pakistani muslim league itself and there was this interior minister uh, nisar choudhry was from the nawaz sharif faction now he split from the pmln and he is contesting elections uh, alone and he was allotted the symbol of a jeep which very obviously evokes images of the pakistani military itself and not only did that happen a lot of people started quitting pmln and by some strange luck lot of these independents have been given the jeep symbol <laughs> okay so this is like uh, the jeep party yeah <laughs> so this is the uh, jeep party which is sort of image they don't call themselves a party by the way okay uh, they are saying we are not a group and uh, but we know what it is both a jeep baat hai yeah but what might happen is because pti is does not have great presence in punjab these jeepers plus uh the pti might collaborate and you might have a formation which can run and also imran in the past has sort of shown his sympathy for militants anyway and you of know of course yeah so he's always sort of been uh, you know wanting to get into the good books of the military yeah complex. he is uh, i mean the party was started by you know, now the interesting thing is even nawaz sharif's party was bankrolled by the pakistani army back in the 80s when benzir bhutto was just rising this was late 80s so as a counterpoint yeah. to that so uh, there was this formation called the iji which was formed and nawaz sharif was a businessman who was brought in to do this but over time nawaz sharif now with you know 30 years of politics behind him wanted to do things his own way and that was Uh, too much for the pakistani army so now you have another case here and they are trying to form this party uh, called the pti very obviously uh, they emerge they come up every time the pakistani army wants them to do wants them to uh, create all these noises so yes it looks like they are the pakistani army's guys all very entertaining so are they going to like is the army also going to rig the elections in a manner of speaking because like there is an army person at every booth for example they're pretty much controlling the physical logistics yeah so that's that's the interesting thing and i i don't know how that would work out my guess is they have already rigged the okay. election like you don't need to rig the uh, ballot process to rig an elections right you can rig it some it, they have just put nawaz sharif behind bars put her, his daughter behind bars so i mean if that is not rigging what is you face so many insurmountable difficulties that uh, uh, and i think you you won't want to rig the election anymore because the army still wants that 
veneer of credibility right? right at some point they still they've always maintained the prop of a civilian government to show that there is some aspect of democracy within pakistan so if they go any further then i think they will be tipping that balance and they won't want to do that necessarily because then they can go back to military rule but does that matter anymore because everyone in the international community for example knows the real score anyway right no i think it does matter because uh, recently pakistan has been put on the fatf right or uh, the financial the gray list of the yeah. financial action mm. task force for not cracking down on terrorism and money laundry and things like that mm-hmm. and uh, I, i don't know what do you think pranay i think the difference this time is because nawaz sharif is extremely popular still mm-hmm. and in fact after what the army has done to him and put him behind jail etc there's a greater sympathy wave for him as well so he is no walkover either he's a seasoned politician so if the pakistan army goes overboard there might be uh, you know push back from the supporters of nawaz sharif which didn't exist earlier because you know that there was only one game in town earlier but now there is at least a hint of some political opposition but is there space for such a backlash to express itself i mean if it's basically an army run country they can just clamp down on any dissent right yeah that that might well happen and in fact that's what is happening but uh, for example uh, there were a lot of protests in favor of nawaz sharif as well and you know voices were raised even after he was removed because of this clause so in a sense they won't be able to keep it under wraps if this happens so there will be some fallout there will be protests which i don't know whether they are ready to take that challenge up yeah so when he was debarred from government right he did a long march from islamabad to lahore right uh, saying you know yes i've been debarred from office but i still have clout and similarly when the judgment now that sentenced him to 10 years of prison was out he and his daughter were actually in london and protesters stormed through the apartment and eventually he chose to come back to pakistan even though he knew he was facing arrest and i think these are all symbolic of the fact that uh, the sharifs know that there is a sympathy wave for them that they will command it in that sense yeah that's which right. is kind of ironic given that they were once cronies themselves in a sense of the army like you pointed out yeah like, that is true but you know once you have power i guess the logic of power works differently and i think yeah. he probably the uh, thought that he can do more things on his term rather power changes everybody i mean yeah. power is like the most fascinating subject yeah. of modern times how it can just yeah, there is this famous quote from uh, the harry potter right when voldemort in the first book says uh, there is only power in those who are too weak to seek it Uh, and mm. i think that's a great way to explain what is happening in pakistani politics a profound geopolitical insight from uh, someone <laughs> <Lord> who lost <laughs> <laughs> so times do change and power does shift yeah. uh, so okay so here's the million dollar question then all this is happening in pakistan the military jihadi complex is asserting itself mm. and imran might uh, the interestingly our listeners will know this as they are listening to the podcast so we don't at the time of speaking uh, uh, imran might come to power or whatever happens what are the repercussions for india so from the indian angle these elections don't really matter they are all interesting for us to observe but still what we are seeing is the military jihadi complex we have to uh face that particular side of the equation and there will be uh someone who will be a crony of the military jihadi complex earlier you at least had some guy who 
could question the military's yeah, the complex in a limited sense. But yes, there was. Now we will end up with the situation where the there is a military's yeah, the complex and the political part is just going to relay whatever they want them to relay. Right? So we have no other option but to try to see how this military's yeah, the complex's role can be managed and that's what we are left with pretty much. and what is imran's uh, attitude towards india in terms of his public utterances and so on what is his approach extremely antagonistic towards india he's in fact uh, his favorite uh, criticism of any of his political opponents is they are india supporters or they did something which was in india's interests or something and everyone for them is a raw agent so that's the standard thing with uh, pti so right. it won't change yeah right and, and we are also no doubt uh, raw agents uh, pranay and hamsini <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on the podcast it's been very illuminating talking to you <laughs> thanks, thanks if you enjoyed listening to this episode do follow hamsini on twitter at hamsini h and follow pranay at pranay kotas you can also follow me at amit verma a m i t v a r m a you can browse past episodes of the scene and the unseen at sceneunseen.in thank you for listening every week comes a show where three people come together to tell you about stuff they like a movie a tv show a book and other stuff tune in every monday on the ivm podcast app to ivm likes batman approves this message thank you batman hi i'm vishal gondal an entrepreneur i've had the chance to meet and understand how some of the super achievers have hacked their way to success and they have done spectacular innovations now i take a closer look at these people's lives to find out what lies beneath the force only on the vishal gondal show episodes out fortnightly on wednesdays on the ivm website app or your favorite podcasting platform